0: All right, so we are continuing our study through the book of Matthew. Last week, uh, we picked up, and I wanted to show you uh, where we were. Um, so we were over in Tyre and Sidon when he ministered to the Syrophoenician woman with demon-possessed daughter, and then he brought the disciples back down here, and he fed the 12,000 at uh, Magdala right there, and he took that boat across, and he healed all those people, and it was an amazing time. So there he is in the Sea of Galilee, and this is kind of the region and where he ministers the majority of his time. Capernaum is the synagogue there that was built by a Roman, and this is kind of Jesus' hangout area. At this point in Matthew chapter 16, it's fascinating, and I have to show you these visuals because Jesus wanted to give a visual to these 12 disciples. So what he does is he takes them from Magdala, this is Migdal, and he goes 255 miles to the Dan, right here at a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is the headwaters of the Jordan River. The Jordan flows all the way down, and then it gathers here in the Sea of Galilee. They call it Gennesaret because it looks like a um, a harp, and then it flows down there, and it just gets silty and nasty as it goes into the Dead Sea down here, and then it just disappears. It doesn't flow into the ocean. It's one of the few rivers that doesn't flow into the ocean. Uh, Jesus was baptized at the, the lower areas down here, and uh, this is where it's out in the wilderness. It's desert region. This is typically where we do the baptisms, is right up about here. And we'll do that in November when we go. But he takes them 255 miles up to Caesarea Philippi to the headwaters. And I want to show you the headwaters. There's, it's an interesting area. They call it Dan. Uh, and they discovered uh, what is called the Gate of Abraham. We're going to see this when we go there in November. It's, it, it was built 1800 BC. You're going to walk to the gate. You might be able to even get through They kind of... I've been up to, to go into it, but it's uh, it's the gate that Abraham passed through in the Old Testament, in Genesis. Um, this is the headwaters of the Jordan. So if, if we were up at the, at the Dan, and you take a, a cup of water, and I put it here, and I'll do this when I come back, and we'll get a chance to see it later in November, but I'll have a cup from the headwaters, and then I'll have a cup from where Jesus was baptized at the bottom of the Jordan, where it's all silty and nasty. This is crystal clear. You can drink right out of the headwaters. It comes right out of a fountain. It's stunning and beautiful. It's just a beautiful region. Um, And then it comes right out of Mount Hermon, which is up near Lebanon. So like we have the Sierra Nevadas, and we have that snowfall, and it goes into these springs, and then the springs flow into the different rivers. You have the American River, you have the Kern River, and the higher up the river, the clearer the water and the more luscious it is. And you can see how beautiful Lebanon is. It's much like California. You can be snow skiing uh, in the morning and you can be surfing in the in the evening uh, or in the afternoon. It's just like California. But the government there has imploded and so Lebanon's having its issues. But you can see it almost looks like the Alps, looks like the Sierras. It's beautiful. And this is where the water comes into the headwaters of the Jordan right there at the Dan. And then... This is the gate, Abraham's gate, that's right in that location of the headwaters of the Jordan, and I'll show you a picture where they all exist. But he walked through that gate. He contended for his nephew Lot in Genesis. You're looking at something that was built in 1800 BC, before Christ, 1800 years before Christ. You're looking at it, they're excavating, it's fascinating, and and this is an old picture, and it's because it's made out of mud brick, uh, kind of adobe, they've got that covering over it to protect it from the elements, But it is fascinating. And also in that same location is Jeroboam's uh, temple that he had built in the northern region to try to contend with the other tribes to build his own temple up in the northern regions. And this is also located in this area of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, This is what it looked like in Abraham's time. You can see the gate and the entrance there. Uh, and then this is the Tel Dan, which is this judgment seat that was, uh, you see it in Psalm 69, Ruth 4, and Proverbs 31. And this is where the city council members would sit. And I'm grateful I wasn't a city councilman, and That's because the seats look miserable. The one I sit in, cushy, very nice. You, a lot of us sleep. Well, no, I'm just kidding. But this is where they would do all the city Is right here at this Tel Dan. And, and it's been a place of civilization for thousands of years. Uh, and this is where they would deal with the the issues of the region, and um, then we go here. This is uh, the Israelite wall that was built in 900 BC with Jeroboam. So there's two different strata. So you have you have the first tell, which is the 1800 years before Christ, and then you have another tell, which is 900 years before Christ. And this is this was built in Jeroboam's time. Tell Dan. And they built this fake temple, and I say fake because they, they offered a golden calf, and they built the altar there, and they tried to steal the worship out of Shiloh and bring it up to this region. It didn't go well. This is where you get Samaritans. It's a mix between Jews and, and uh, Gentiles, and they despise the people in the north, and it was, it was very divisive in the history of the nation, but it was all done up in this region, and I'll show you what's fascinating. So this is, this is kind of an overview of the region. This is the headwaters of the Jordan, and this is Caesarea Philippi where it's built. Right there, we're going to see in a second the gates of hell that are in the passage we're about to read, and then the waters flow down the Jordan into the Sea of Galilee. And around this region, which is absolutely lush, it's beautiful, if you you leave the heat of the valley and you come up to the headwaters, it's just so beautiful. Everybody would want to be there. Everybody build, build their vacation house there. But you can see that Jeroboam's uh, golden calf altar, we'll take a look at that in November when we go. And this is that city gate that Abraham walked through, and there's another arch gate over here. And you see all this is being excavated, and the Jews are amazing archaeologists, and they're unearthing this all the time as you go through this region. So this is what we're going to be reading about today, and this uh, this is Caesarea Philippi. In the time... When Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 16, Philip the Tetrarch, which means he owns one quarter of the region, he's one of four rulers, the father divided it between four of his sons, Philip the Tetrarch built this in honor of Caesar, so he called it Caesarea Philippi, he honored Caesar, but he added his name in there, it's for Caesar and Philip, you know, So, and it was built as a really luscious area, and he actually ruled there until 33 AD. Uh, and, and even the Greeks and the Romans, they all set up their their headquarters in this region because you can see how beautiful it is. Out of this, oops, sorry. I want to get back. I meant to press the thing, but I didn't, and then it's not working, and I feel stupid. Well, well, what's going on here? I didn't do that. There we go. All right, please please stay. Don't go anywhere. So in this region right here, you see the water? You see that? You see that? Say yes so I stop doing this. It's coming out of the rock, and it's flowing. And this is this is a, a spring that's pouring in. It's the headwaters of the Jordan coming right out of the stone. This giant cave is what they call the gates of Hades, or hell. And in Jesus' time... Not today, but in Jesus' time, it was a spring, a well, that that went... It, it, they couldn't even measure the depth of how deep it went. And water was flowing out of this rock, and it was pouring into the Jordan, and it was the headwaters of Jordan coming out of that that hole. And then an earthquake occurred, and so there's still water in the hole, but it's, it, it now seeps out through this location, and the greater the rain, the more it seeps out and just comes down. This is the headwaters of Jordan. It goes all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, and I just blinded somebody with the laser... Uh, and then you've got all these little uh, cutouts in the wall. And this is where they would put their pagan deities and they would come up here and worship. And at the time of Jesus, there was one God that they were worshiping. It was called Pan. Pan was this mythical God that was half goat, half man. Have you ever seen it? Satan worshipers love Pan, uh, the, the pentagram, and they have goat's heads and all that. And they would throw carcasses of animals into this hole right here. And they called it the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. And they worship Pan. And this was... Completely devoted to the pagan worship of Pan, and and when Jesus arrives there, he travels 255 miles for his disciples to get this visual, and they see it all, and and they see carved into the the hillside all these different deities that were done during this period of time, and they would worship all kinds of deities, but it, it, the primary deity was Pan, and this is after the earthquake, but this is the the well where the water was gushing out of during Jesus's time. And I think that is about it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's it. Let's, we can shut it off. Oh, good. So <clears throat> that's your overview. They travel 255 miles north. They're going to get a visual. Jesus wants to give them a visual to show and tell time. Because the entire Bible is profound, <clears throat> absolutely profound. But this one passage, everyone in the room is going to have to come to a conclusion. And Jesus brought these guys 255 miles to give them a visual. And he points to three gates, Abraham's gate, Jeroboam's gate, the gates of hell. And he presents to them a fourth gate. And he asks them a question. He asked them two questions. It's like a, kind of a final exam. And not only did they have to answer it, but everyone in the room has to answer it. And seeing all that, I have taken people to that location. And I don't care who you are or where you're from you sweat bullets when you're in that location having to come to a conclusion on the question that's asked you. I brought the members of the Republican National Committee on a trip to Israel, and these are hardcore, hard-drinking, partying folks. We get to this location, and I ask them the same question that you're going to see in this passage that Jesus asked his disciples, and I asked them the same question. You could see them. They didn't get any cell service up there. They're like, I can't even play with my phone. What do I do? You know, and they were panicking, Because you have to, you have to answer the question. You have to, everybody has to answer the question. And the, and the way that Jesus words, the question is it's fascinating. He says, you, he stops everything goes you like, Hey, you, and and the 12 disciples, you, you, you. And and, And the finger lovingly is directed at you. You, who do you say that I am? So let's take a look at it. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. by the way, in this passage of Scripture, it's the first time in the Bible, the New Testament, excuse me, where the word church is used because he builds his church on the answer to that question. We'll pick up at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, which you saw up on the wall there, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, and he kind of gives them the clue, who do men say that I, the son of man? (laughs) Hello, McLaughlin. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? In the Greek, it's it's very clear. It says you. Who do you say that I am? I, I want that answer from you. Who do you say that I am? And then there's a long pause. I, I imagine this in my mind and all of them are like, Oh, I don't want to fail this one. Oh man, what do we do? I mean, I got the Elijah thing. What do you say? And, and it's Simon Peter who answers. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered verse 17 and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that you should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. By the way, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. Christ means Messiah, Savior. Okay? Now, I'm going to read the rest of the passage, uh, but I'm not going to cover it, but I want to put it into context. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Accordingly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We'll stop there. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, your living word, and cause us, Lord, we pray, to come alive. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. And Lord, as we see you looking at us and asking us this question, you, who do you say that I am? Lord, I I pray that we know that salvation is a gift from God. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. And Lord, I pray that you give each man and woman a measure of faith to receive this gift that by faith they would receive it. And we're so grateful that you're a merciful and gracious God. And that as you present three gates to the disciples, you present the fourth. And Lord Jesus, the testimony upon how we answer this question is whether or not that gate will open or remain shut. And so Lord, I pray that you would minister to every heart, that we would all answer that question like Peter did correctly. So help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Um I got a I got an interesting text while I was at the football game yesterday and trying to enjoy the game and and you get these periodically. And the text was it was somebody was upset. Um and they were hurting and they're going through a, a pretty tough time and I, I got it. And it and as a pastor, I'm an easy target. I mean you're all looking at me, so you know it's like, you can, you can hit me. Um, and, and rightfully so, you know, there's times I deserve to be that target because things that come out of my mouth, you just like, did I say that? I guess I did. Uh, and you, you hold a measure of responsibility and the like. And, and so, and, and people tend to, you know, the Bible says as a pastor, you're more strictly judged. Uh, you judge my children differently than you judge other people's kids. And the reality is my kids are just as bad, if not worse than your kids. Um, and and the reason why God has me behind this wooden stand is because he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. So if you're judging the church based on me, God has taken the weakest thing in the church to put behind this wooden stand. And um, and the church is easy to kind of take a, a shot at. And, and as I was reading this text, you know, they, they were saying not the nicest things. And, and I had to read it not... Not personally, I had to just realize they're hurting and and receive what they were saying and, you know, process it. And one of the things is they, they, they came at me because they said a pastor shouldn't live in Dos Vientos. And, and my response to them was, I, I pay less in rent living in Dos Vientos than I paid in my mortgage in my 1,370 square foot house that we owned. And my son-in-law and my daughter live with us to offset the rent, and we didn't choose the house that chose us because it was the only house available that would take a Great Dane and another dog. And, and you know, I I get it. You, you, you have your judgments, and everything that I do is going to be judged. And you're all welcome to come visit our house. Don't stay long, but come and visit. And... <laughs> And, and you know, one of the things I said, we were sharing with our landlords. We had the opportunity to have a great testimony to them. I mean, it's it's how you're going to view it. But if you want to take a shot at the church, it's really simple. It's really simple. And if you want to take a shot at the pastor, it's real simple. It won't take you long. And and the criticism that they had for me in a couple areas, they it wasn't justified. But my feeling was I could have given them a list of things that, that they would have been justified in being critical of. And they could have gone all day on those. And I could have saved them time, you know. And my point is this. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the rock is the testimony that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a testimony that has developed the church. It's the very first time you see the word church used. And again, any donkey can knock down a a barn door, but only a carpenter can build one. And as as my seminary pastor used to say, any jackass can knock down a barn door, but only a carpenter can build one. Anyone can knock the church. But let me remind you that the church is his bride. You are his bride. If that testimony, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, has, has filled your heart and left your mouth, you are his bride. And I have news for you. I, I am a, a man with feet of clay, and I've said this before. If you say anything bad about my wife, you'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm kind of thing, right? You don't, you don't talk poorly about my wife as you would not about any other person's spouse. And she's got her flaws, no doubt, but that's my world. And she's the only one who would have married me. So I'm telling you, (laughs) when you're talking bad about the church, you're talking bad about his bride. And his bride has flaws. Just look around. Look look around. And for those of you looking for the perfect church, if you find it, stay out because you'll ruin it. But he chose this instrument to push back the gates of hell. He took these 12 disciples 255 miles north. He takes them to this lush location that is absolutely stunning. You go there, it is beautiful. There's a cacophony of noise coming from the worship of Pan, this mythical half-creature, half-man God who is sensual and, and, and you know, just bad news. The, the God of worship for, for sat- Satanic worship. And there it is. It is going crazy. And there, there is Jews they're, They hate this location. They hate this region and everything about them. This is the pagan world. This is awful. And they're, but it's beautiful. And yet they own it. And Philip has built this under Caesar and you've got pan worship and they've taken the headwaters of the Jordan, which is the, the, the lifeblood of Israel. And we're Jews and they're in our land And he looks at them and he says, hey, fellas, it's time for a little test. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? I mean, just men in general. Who do men say that I, the son of man, I'm giving you a clue, am? And they're like, okay. uh I've heard some say you're Elijah. I mean, Herod said that. He said that you were Elijah risen. Oh no, excuse me. Some say you're John the Baptist. Herod said that, that you've risen from the dead because he beheaded and then you've come back and you're haunting him. That's I've heard that. I've heard that. And John the Baptist, political reformer. This is a man that, you know, called the government into account and said you can't be sleeping with your brother's wife and there's adultery and fornication and he's calling political leaders to account. He's a political force to be reckoned with. John the Baptist. And some say that's who you are. And others say that you're Elijah, Elijah, calling down fire on Mount Carmel, consuming the sacrifice. You are, you are the prophet of power. You have power. Praise God! Lots of draw that out. Boom! Did you feel it? That's who you are. You're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You're the one that protected all the elements of the the temple, and you hid them, and then when your kingdom is reestablished, you're going to bring them back out again. And you were the weeping prophet. You know, Jeremiah never saw a convert in the entire time of his ministry, but he was steadfast, and he was calling into account, you're Jeremiah. And the others were like, well, they got all the three big ones. Uh, uh, Others said that you're just one of many prophets. Does that work? <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're just trying to chime in. And, and think about that. I mean, everybody in the room from this side to that side has an opinion on who Jesus is. Some of you have an opinion on who Jesus is based on your comparative religion class in your community college. Some of you have an opinion on Jesus based on what somebody said in a Zeitgeist video that you read. Somebody has an opinion on Jesus based on what a relative believes. Somebody has an opinion based on some show you saw on television. But everybody's got an opinion on Jesus. I was watching the show Gifted with the actor who played Captain America. And it was about a young girl that had, you know, giftings and seven years old, mathematician and on and on and on. And I shared this last week. They're having a Jesus moment. I love that Hollywood put it in there. And she's on his shoulders and sunset. She says, he says, is there God? And he says, I don't know. You know, and I'm like, Okay. And, uh, you know, here, brilliant mind trying to contemplate their existence and dealing with absolutes and numbers and theory and laws and, you know, and trying to come up with all the, all that and asking him this question. Apparently he's supposed to be an MIT professor and, and she says, is there a God? He goes, I don't know. And then she asked this question seven years later. She says, well, what about Jesus? And his response was, yeah, he's a good guy. Whatever he says, I would do that. And I thought, pretty good for Hollywood, (laughs) pretty good for Hollywood. Whatever Jesus says, yeah, he's a good guy. I would do that. So he's got an opinion on Jesus. And and really, everyone has an opinion on Jesus. And people go, well, I'd have a better opinion if it wasn't for the church. Because they make Jesus out to be somebody awful. Well, Jesus said things about himself that you can't dismiss. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Very exclusive. I and no other. That's the reading. I and no other am the way. I and no other and the truth. I and no other and the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, I'm completely exclusive, but by me. And as C.S. Lewis said in the trilemma, you can only come to one of three conclusions based on what Jesus said about himself. He's either a liar because he said that and he knew it wasn't true, or he's a lunatic. He said it thinking it was true, but it wasn't, and he's batty, or he's Lord, but you can't call him a good man or a prophet or or, or. he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord because he said that about himself. Jesus presents three gates, Abraham's gate, Jeroboam's gate, gates of hell, and he says, here's the fourth gate I'm presenting to you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm the gate. All religions lead to God, but only one leads to heaven. Only one leads to heaven, and as soon as he concludes that, as we saw in the the further readings, Jesus then spoke of the crucifixion. Right after he shared that, he spoke of the crucifixion. I must be crucified. I must be killed, crucified and buried. In three days, I'll rise. Because they knew in the Old Testament, blood must be shed for the remission of sin. I am the Savior. I've come to to pay the penalty for mankind's sins, past, present, and future. My blood shed. You receive that as a gift of salvation by declaring me to be your Savior and your Lord. You are the Christ. That's his title, the Son of the Living God. Blessed, oh, how happy are you, Simon Barjona. Simon Barjona, Simon Barjona, man born of a man named Simon Barjona, man born of flesh. This didn't come to you by your father. This is a gift from God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Salvation is a gift from God for all who would receive it. If you can hear my voice, the gift is being extended to you. If you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, you will be saved. That's the book of Acts, very clear. Simon, based on that testimony of faith, and all of them were in the boat the very first time they professed Jesus to be the Christ, when he walked on water and they were all fearful and he said, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now they get another lesson 255 miles north at Caesarea Philippi in front of the gates of hell. And Jesus says, okay, Who do men say that I am? You've got all that. But let me ask you this, you, you. Who do you say that I am? This is personal. Every human being on the earth has to come to an answer. Fill in the blank. But mind you, the answer is dependent on whether or not that gate opens for you or remains closed. Oh, he's one of many ways to heaven. Gates closed. He didn't say that. He said, I am the only way. You see, a lie has many voices, but the truth has only one. A lie has many voices, but the truth has only one. You have the most counterfeited currency in the world is a U.S. currency because they feel it to be the most valuable in the world compared to all the other economies, I guess so. And the only way that a counterfeit currency has any value is if it can appear to be like the original, the one that's true, the one that's true, the one that is true. So they want it to appear to be true, but it's not. And the closer it looks to being true, the more valuable it becomes, even though it's a lie. As I said, in the capital of North Korea, they've got all the facades of the building to look as though they're beautiful and resplendent, but you go in and they're vacant and desolate. You go into Hollywood <clears throat> and you can walk through a city that looks like it's built in the 1920s and it's fascinating, but on the other side is a vacant lot or emptiness on the inside. They're creating a false reality, it appears to be something it isn't. A lie has many voices, but the truth has only one. Jesus said, I am the truth. All of the, the pantheon of gods, the cacophony of voices. Who do you say that I am? In, the, in, in the loudness of the voices and all of the worship of Pan and everything taking place in that resplendent area in a place that they're uncomfortable. He looks at them and he says, who do men say that I am? They all got an opinion, but who do you say that I am? You, 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 you. Who do you say that I am? That question is very important. Because it depends on whether that gate opens or remains closed. You see, the only way to be in the presence of God is to be without sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People don't like to be called sinners. I get that. All that sin means is that we've missed the mark. Where the arrow lands and where the bullseye is, archers call it the sin distance. How far the arrow's fallen from perfection. There's nobody perfect for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every religion is trying to get to the bullseye, but we never quite make it. Nobody's perfect. Christianity is special because it moves the bullseye to where you are. Christ's righteousness is put on your account. He was without sin, tempted in all ways, but yet was without sin. He died in your place and you receive his gift of salvation because he paid the penalty and he moves the bullseye to where your arrow is and you are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't have to keep trying to hit the bullseye. He moved the bullseye. This is his gift. And that gift is the testimony of the church that, that he builds his church based on this one question, who do you say that I am? And if you say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are his bride. Welcome to the body of Christ. But he chooses his church. The first time in all scripture in the New Testament where the word church is used, and it's fascinating that he would pick the church of all things. The church. <laughs> Since 2000, the year 2000, every year, so 17 years now, more than 4,000 churches in America have closed their doors. That's almost 70,000 churches have closed since 2000. At the turn of the 1900s, there were 27 churches to every 10,000 people. At the start of this millennium, there were only 11 churches to every 10,000 people. Every year, 2.7 million church members stop or drop into inactivity we just kind of give up. And we just and, and and the fascinating thing is the people that are usually the most caustic or upset are the ones that have walked away. And they walk away and they look at the church and they go, It's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And I would just say there's room for more. I mean, we're all flawed. We've all missed the mark. We're not here because of our righteousness. We're here because of his. It's the testimony. He moved the bullseye. We received it. That's the foundation of the church. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're my savior. You're my Messiah. You saved me. I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't hit the bullseye. I screw up every time I try. You moved it. I can't believe you would save me. And I keep doing the same thing and you still forgive me. Now, granted, he goes on to say that Flesh and blood hasn't re- revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. But he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he points to this, this massive structure with water pouring out of it that, that every pan worshiper threw carcasses in to worship the devil God. And he says that's not even going to stand in opposition to, the, to this testimony. And he uses the word Peter, which is the, the, the masculine form Petros. And he says Peter, Peter, masculine, Petros, your faith, Petros, feminine, is the testimony. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. For our Catholic brothers and sisters, the the Greek understanding of this isn't that Peter is the first pope. It's very clear. And my Catholic brothers and sisters will say, well, Jesus was speaking in Aramaic. Fine. I'm not sure, but I'll I'll give that to you because he did. But whether he spoke Aramaic or Greek, Matthew wrote it down. Masculine, feminine to declare that the rock wasn't Peter himself, but his testimony that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the church. Anyone who declares Jesus to be their Lord and savior is the church. You're his bride. It's a testimony of faith. And when you have that testimony of faith, all of the pagan world cannot stand in opposition to you. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Based on that testimony, all of the resources of heaven are at your beckoning call. And he says, "Whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on the earth will be loosed in heaven." What he's saying is, "Church, whatever you bind in obedience to God's commands will be bound on, on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you loose in accordance with my commands will be loosed on earth as it is in heaven." I I, I give you that authority. Now, the church loves the get out of hell free card. You're my savior, but you're not my Lord. We don't want to push back the gates of hell. We don't want to contend for these things. And and here, Jesus brings them 255 miles to this location to point out to them, this is serious. He says, it's serious for this simple reason. I'm going to Jerusalem and I must die I'm going to be crucified. And if you're not willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. This is not about you and your comfort. This is about a world that needs you to push down their gates and bring them into heaven. They are all enthralled in death, and you go to give them life and life more abundant. Do gates move? No, they don't move unless you knock them down. They don't move. Gates open and shut, right? Hopefully. They don't go anywhere. They're not designed to move, but they're designed to protect. What are the gates of hell? To keep people locked in. It's fascinating. In the Eastern world, like North Korea, let's go there because the, the communist bloc has fallen. But you, you go to North Korea. They have a wall to keep their people in. They want to get out. and And the guns are pointed at them, not at the south koreans although some of the missiles are but they've got their guns pointed at their own people keeping them in you're going to play in our little facade and all of our fake buildings and 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 these are these gates they're designed to, to to seal and to keep them in and jesus didn't say that the church is supposed to build gates and be on the defensive the bible says we're more than conquerors in christ jesus he he saved us so we can take satan down he saved us to transform the world. But here's a problem. He's Savior, but not Lord. I'm not interested in the cultural influences and arts and entertainment and media and politics and business and religion and education and family. I just I just don't want to make any waves. But we're His bride. And the churches are either going to close almost 70,000 since 2000, or we're going to expand. And it's all dependent on one question. Wh- who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Is he a compartment? Eh, he's, he's a 10% Jesus. I mean, I, I, he's actually a one-seventh savior. I, 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 I kind of, I give him Sunday. I give him Sunday, a couple hours. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt with man. His Bible and His Word, it's Jesus. I don't really read that. I do it whenever you open it, but I'm not. I, Bible's boring. So are you. But you know, <laughs> His is living and breathing and changes lives. You, you don't. Why would He pick the church? Because He wants you to come alive to His Word. How can you... How can you push back the gates of hell if the one who leads you and the testimony upon which you profess, who do you say that I am? How can you say he's anyone if you don't know anything about him? He, he's called us to push back the gates of hell. His kingdom isn't about force or coercion. It's about love. It's about setting an example. It's about living his, his, his will in your life. So you'd be a testimony for others to read. You're a living epistle. Epistle means letter for others to read by the way you live your life. If you're being put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you of such? Do you influence the culture in which you live? Or does the culture influence you? Are you pushing back the gates of hell or are they wrapping their gates around you? He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom, although he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to establish that, but not by force and coercion. And it's fascinating. Jesus turned to his disciples in Mark chapter 10. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And every kingdom, you know, on earth has to have a leader. And that's why we love earthly kingdoms. Who's in charge? Who's who's in Washington? And that's what I love about the church is they pick the pastor, Lord willing, the the dumbest of all of you. Put him up there. We got to keep an eye on him. And the Bible says he chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. I love that because you look at me and you go, well, I'm better than him. God's like, right, you are. So what's that have to do with anything? I'm the standard, Jesus says. And, but in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left hand in glory. Right away, they want a position of authority. And Jesus said, whoa, that's how the Gentile kings operate. They lord it over their people. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you're a servant of all. He didn't come to exercise authority, but he came to serve. We used to call in politics, people who served in politics, public servants. Now it's a place to get a really good pension, not city council, but it's a place to get a really good pension. It's it's a place to, to manipulate and, and to impoverish people. But it used to be public servants. This idea that you would sacrifice to serve. And if we all looked at what we did, the Bible says, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. What, whatever God has placed you and do it unto his glory. And you had a servant's heart instead of what's in it for me? Do I get to sit at his right hand? Do I get to sit at his left? Do I get to judge everybody? Do I get to stand in that judgment seat? Do I get to be that person? And the more critical we are of others as opposed to serving others, Jesus said, you want to be great. You're a servant of all. He created the church to be a team effort. He created the church that we would work together and serve one another in love and to serve the community in love. You know, I was, I was at the Coliseum, and I, I was thinking about USC, UCLA, and, and this thing was built in the 30s for the Olympics, and I, it's, it's probably paid for itself over and over again. It's, it's kind of run down a little bit, but I'm, I'm like, all the things that have happened here and the amazing stuff and the, the, the contest between USC and UCLA and wherever you stand on that— and then I was thinking of John Wooden. And as I was putting this together, I went back and looked at John Wooden because my sister adores him. And it's like the one person that's really had this voice of Christ in her life because he has management principles. He's since passed, but he lived in this humble two bedroom apartment that he and his wife, he never looked for glory and fame. He was the most winning NC2A basketball coach in the history of the NC2A. Amazing guy. And his motto was the most important player when we win is the rest of the team. Wooden encourage his players to acknowledge the assists of their teammates. If one player received a pass that allowed him to score, Wooden wanted him to give the other man a wink or point to him as they moved down to the opposite end of the court. A new player once asked Wooden, what if the other player isn't looking? When I point to him, Wooden just smiled, oh, don't worry, he'll be looking. <laughs> I, this is the kind of teamwork Christ wants with his church. Any donkey can knock down a barn door, but only a carpenter can build one. If you want to justify your, your apathy by judgment of the church. It's very simple to do. But you're messing with his bride. Serve. Get over your personal issues and get into the lives of others. This is that teamwork that Jesus wants from his his bride. Jesus wanted to establish a kingdom where all the citizens would work at building each other up, encouraging one another. Let me share with you um, some of the passages of Scripture this is John fifteen. This is my command that you love one another romans twelve ten devoted to one another romans fifteen seven accept one another galatians five thirteen serve one another ephesians four two bear with one another first thessalonians five eleven encourage one another ephesians four thirty two be kind and compassionate to one another ephesians four thirty two forgive one another just as Christ uh, forgave you the church isn't about me and It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And all the people around us that he came to save as he wants to break down those those walls of hell and pull them into salvation. Jesus gives us the keys. He wants us to build his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. And I, I would leave you with this idea... I was thinking a lot about eschatology. And I know for some of you that's kind of confusing term just means a study of the end times. Calvary Chapel looks at the end times as we're what we call pre-trib, pre-millennial, where we believe that there'll be a rapture before God judges the earth. In the millennial reign. He's gonna remove the church. It's kind of a comforting thought, because you know, this week I was fully pre-trib, pre-millennial. I was I was like lack of sleep and I'm into it because I'm looking at the decline of Western civilization. I'm at the airport looking at kids yelling at their parents. And, you know, as, uh, uh, the Prince of Wales said, America's fascinating how the parents obey their children. And I was, I was watching this as, you know, the millennial generation, the Y and the Z generation are all, you know, entitled. And the kids are like, gimme, gimme, gimme. And you just, oh, I'm sitting in the airport going, is this, is this what we've been reduced to? And, and I'm, I'm seeing the decline and the misery and I'm like, gosh, Lord, is there any hope? And then, and you know, I'm, I'm at the lake house. I can't water ski. I can't kneeboard. board. I got back issues. I'm just sitting and turn on the TV. I'm like, what is this? Oh man. It's like a window into hell in the corner of their living rooms. It's just awful. <laughs> I don't have to go to Israel to see, you know, the gates of hell. It's right there. You like moved it. It's fascinating. And, and as I'm looking and I'm just thinking, you know, Lord, the, 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 everyone's trying to do away with Jesus and oh, we found his bones. Do you know in the last 300 years, it's probably the 80th time they've dug up somebody named Jesus and they said that he's married and he's got kids and it's like recycled. And then Hollywood tries it and then you read something and you got A&E or somebody doing a, a, a special on, you know, Jesus and Jesus and, and it's just, let's get rid of him. And and silence the church and just remove its its emphasis and its existence and just shut it down. And there's a part of me pre true, pre-millennial. You know what, Lord? Would you just sound the trumpet and take us all and let them get what they asked for? Just no church. Let them live without us. No, none of you feel that way. I I was I <laughs> was the kind of weak. I was like, yeah, let's do this, but. But then the other eschatology is, no, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's build his kingdom. And that kingdom is built, the foundation, whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. God wants that authority to build his kingdom, to push back the gates of hell. That his, his kingdom is a kingdom of love. And, and if we're not into this and we can't answer that question, who do you say that I am? Then the church is anemic and we just shut the doors and wait for the last one out to turn off the lights because we don't care. We just want to sit back and watch this decline. And the Lord is saying, push it back. Step into that world. Engage. Who do you say that I am? And this is that idea. If he's Lord... And he's moved the bullseye. And we are grateful. We want for everyone else what we ourselves have received. But apathy. My church will be built on this rock. What is that rock? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That is a question everybody in the room has to answer. And if he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are his bride. And there's a world to reach and cultures to affect and lives to bless and serve. Because if you want to be great in his kingdom, you're a servant of all. And unless you're willing to pick up your cross and any man who loses his life will gain it. And Christ says, I must be crucified. And the bottom line is, if he is the Christ, the son of the living God, you're dead. And so am I. Because the apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I live for his kingdom, not my own. I live for his kingdom, not my own. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are my savior and my Lord. And so he took him 255 miles to the heart of evil. And there the truth stood in the cacophony of the voices of, lie has many voices as the one over here is declaring okay good it's a cell phone <laughs> it invaded all of these lies and here's the truth and in that noise he looks and then you can hear it now everyone's trying to get yeah, the noises are coming in you want to think about your budgets and you want to think about your mortgage and you got uh, where are we going to go for lunch and how's he talking so long and, <laughs> you can't leave here you, hey, you, 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 who do you say that I am? And the answer depends on what happens with the world that desperately needs the truth and the cacophony of lies. And there's one truth. And there are three gates, and now he presents the fourth. How do you get through that gate? All roads, all religions lead to God, only one leads to heaven. How do you get through that gate? Real simple. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, mutually exclusive, I and no other. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, meaning man and woman, gets to the Father except through me. And if you declare me to be your Savior and Lord, the keys are open to you. And all of heaven awaits you and all of its resources to reach the lost. And you've got a dash to get it done. Welcome to his church. You are his bride, and he loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you would take the 12 disciples 255 miles north to the center of the pagan world, to the place where the cave of evil would dwell, and there you would point and you would say, based on this testimony that you've just given, Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail. That testimony is my church, my bride. And based on the fact that you've called me your Savior and your Lord, you were saved. And this gate into the glory of heaven has been opened to you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. But you say to all the lost world, the same thing you said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Because the answer to that question determines whether or not that gate will be open. And if you heard my voice, that gift is for you. And there's faith sufficient in this room right now to receive that key and declare him to be your savior and your Lord, that that gate would open to you. Jesus said, if you declare me before men, I'll declare you before my father in heaven. I'm going to make it real simple this morning for everybody. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to be the one who looks for your hand as I ask you if you'd like to receive the Lord as your Savior and as your Lord, that that gate would be open to you unto salvation. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, you will be saved. I'm not going to make you do it publicly in front of everyone. I'm just going to be that witness. But there will be an act of faith, which means you're going to raise your hand in a moment. If you've never received the Lord and that question's been asked to you and you hear, you've hear you heard it, who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you personally. You and you alone. And you can't leave without answering that question. Who do you say that he is? Is he Lord? Is he your Savior? If you've never declared that and today you want to, I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand. Please raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you god bless you anyone else you want to receive the lord as your savior put your hand up he went to a cross for you it's easy to raise your hand for him amen lord thank you for those who have testified that you are the christ the son of the living god as peter did they're now they're now members of the church they're your bride and you love them and those who need to be saved but haven't received you yet you still love them and you will move heaven and earth to reach them. So may the words of this sermon echo in their ears until you finally reach them, Lord, that it would leave their head and go to their heart. We thank you for this day. We thank you for those who have given their lives to you, and we're so grateful for your living word. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap for those folks who gave their heart to the Lord today.